Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. These are the teachings from our Sunday gatherings. We are supported by listeners like you who find value in the mission of discipleship. If you'd like to give financially, check out our website, our Instagram, or our Facebook for the giving tab. And thank you for partnering with us and keeping the mission alive. Grace and peace to you. All right. Katie's teaching kids today and excited. They're going to go study. And as always, they study somewhat the same stuff that we do. Obviously, it's a slightly different. Um, but the topic, we try to keep the same so that when you're in a car ride home with your kids, you know what they're talking about and you know what they learned. Or if you're out there on the patio and you see them, you can be like, hey, here's what we talked about. And it becomes more of like a family journey rather than um, us versus them kind of thing. Do it all together. So um, we go through the lectionary, as I've mentioned in the past, and the passage this week is really interesting. Um, it's one that you might have heard many times uh, where Jesus walks on water and has a conversation with Peter, and Peter steps out of the boat. And so um, I hope to take somewhat of a cliche passage or something that you've heard and hopefully unpack it, um, an element of it, a little further. Um, but what intrigues me is just how Peter responds to what Jesus does here, okay? And so we're going to read the passage. It'll be on the screen, and then, um, then we'll talk about it a bit. So uh, I'm going to read, oh, I'm pretty sure I have NIV. So immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, there had just been a feeding of many, many people um, prior to this. And so awesome discipleship moment with Jesus teaching them that he can do miracles. He can, he can provide in unbelievable circumstances. Um, so he sends them off on the boat, and after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And this is a key ingredient that we saw, I think, in the last couple of messages and passages that we've been looking at, where we see Jesus getting away to pray. Um, so crucial. This is God modeling for us that we need that time in prayer. We need that time to get away from the chaos and whatever we have to get re-centered around um, God. And later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before the dawn, Jesus went out of them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear, which is an interesting response that they're just like, it's a ghost. Like, they can't explain what's happening. And they cry out in fear. And that word fear, if, you're, if you have your Bible, you want to underline that. I think that's a key descriptor of what's happening here. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Have no fear. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come out on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Which is interesting. Like He sees the, the thing to be afraid of, loses focus, and then says, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. 
And in this interaction, they begin to see Jesus in a different light. Truly, you are the Son of God. Truly, you have power over what's going on around us. And the key line that I want to focus in on that really intrigued me as I sat with this passage is Peter's response. When he sees his rabbi, he says, if it's you, Jesus, if it's you, then call me out to do the same thing. Like He wants to do what his rabbi does. And that would have been a common theme in that day that these disciples following Jesus, Jesus would have been considered a rabbi, a teacher, that they would want to do everything that their rabbi is doing. And in that culture, um, when a rabbi would take on disciples, the disciples would literally follow them everywhere they went. Every little detail that they did, every single thing that they did, they wanted to learn exactly how that rabbi would, learn, would live life. And so they see their rabbi walking on water, and they go, naturally, we got to be able to do this, right? we got to be able to do this amazing thing. And so his demand, Peter's demand is, if it's you, then let me do this as well. Like, I want to be part of that. I want to go surf, right? Like, let's catch some waves. His response is like, if it's you, if it's really Jesus, because initially they think it's a ghost, then let me do it as well. And I thought about that line, and I thought about how we live life. And I think often we put these kind of demands on Jesus. And we'll see as we go through this message that it's okay in certain circumstances. But here's what happens. We put circumstances on, or we put Jesus on the spot or God on the spot to handle our circumstance, handle whatever the fearful situation is, and we want him to control it and do something about it, right? If it's you, if, it's really, if you're really God, then blank. Ever heard that phrase before? If you're really God, then blank. If God, if you're real, then do this for me, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago, like the whole dance monkey idea, like just do what I need you to do, God. Like if you're really God, then I'm going to put you to test and I want you to do this thing for me. And that's what we see Peter do. If you're really God, then allow me to do these kind of miracles. Let me be awesome like you are awesome, right? Which he ends up letting him do, right? But I think there's something in that that has a beautiful teaching moment that as I began to sit with that line, I was like, huh, how do I live this out? And how do I, because I like to put myself in the disciples' shoes and picture how I would respond, right? Not all of them demanded this from Jesus, right? Others were just in fear, like it's a ghost. And Peter's like, no, I want, I want in on this, right? I want this, this walking on water stuff, I want in on it. And so it raised the question for me of like, how do we, how do we interact with God? And how do we react with his voice, right? Because his voice was what reassured them initially. Like, it's I. They're like, it's, it's me, Jesus, right? And his voice initially is what they hear and respond to and say, okay, yeah, I guess maybe it is safe. I don't know. We're still kind of unsure. But then Peter pushes back a bit and he's like, if it's you, then, then prove it. Prove it some way other than just saying something. And so I started to think through, like, 
how we put God to the test, how we begin to question God, and how we interact with God, and what this looks like. Um, I just realized I forgot to put this in the digital notes, so sorry if it's not in there, if you guys are looking for that. Um, I'll update it tomorrow. Um, but this whole idea of testing God is, is not new. Like it's, a, it's something that we all do at some point, right? And there's a healthy version of that. And then there's a really, I think, unhealthy approach when it comes to how we test God and how we question God. Um, but we see this constantly. Um, maybe you've experienced moments where you're like, God totally provided blank for me. God did some amazing thing, and then we give God credit for it. But what if God didn't? Let me ask that question. What if God didn't do blank for you at some point? Would you doubt God? Would you not think that God is real? What about the moments where God does something really amazing and you're praising God for providing something, doing some miraculous thing, and what if it's something that we've created, right? What if it's something that I just, like, if you're like, hey, I really want, I don't know, um, new car, house, whatever, fill in your blank. I really want this phone, this thing. I want this relationship to change. I want whatever. Like, there's an endless amount of things that we want, right? We're plagued by desire. Um, but what if that thing, when it comes to fruition, is your doing? right? Is your finagling or your finances, right? Or is it yours? I don't know. Did God provide the finances? What if you created that scenario and then you said, well, God did this, but you used your bank account to do it. And do you see the, the conundrum that starts to happen and the questioning that starts to happen and almost like the existential crisis that begins to happen when we start to go, well, was it God? Or did I orchestrate this relationship and then say, God did this? Do you see what I'm saying? Or did I buy this thing and then go, look what God provided. It's a miracle. And then we go, look what God did in my life. And so that's why I'm titling this message, what if that was God or wasn't God? How do we know? How do we know? That's my question to us. And I want you just to turn to the person you came with or if someone around you, and just say, how do you know if it's God? And you don't have to have the answer, but just like stab at it. Go for it. Like let's spend like two minutes. How do you know it's God? How do you know if it's really him or just your thing? Go ahead. Or think about it for a second. How do we know if it's God? Any filter that you have? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, of course, correct. <laughs> That's a good one. All God. Everything. God did it all. Okay, is everybody scratching their head yet? That's the hope. I'll let you keep talking if you want to, but I'm going to start talking as well. So if you need to keep talking, keep talking. But this is a, this is a good question because it made me scratch my head. And I'm like, okay, how are we going to talk about this? 
How do we as a group of people that love Jesus want to continue to pursue what God is doing, recognize what things come from God, what things are self-oriented, self-created, self-whatever, right? What's our autonomy and what is God doing? Is God doing everything? Like, or is God doing some of it? Or if we make a horrible decision, does it matter? And God's just going to course correct and he's going to change it all and just put it all back to where he really wanted it? Existential crisis, right? Okay, I just discovered that the idea of an existential crisis is a modern concept. You guys know that? So the idea of like being blown away at how we handle all these things with God and our options comes from this idea that we have millions of options. Even maybe a hundred years ago, the majority of people did not have options. Pre the internet, you didn't know that you had all these other things that you could envy, right? <laughs> you envied just like the farmer next door and his cool farm. Like that was it. He had a better plow than you or something, you know? It was like, we have unlimited, okay? And I even looked up kind of the, the background to it. And it says, existential crises are often seen as a phenomenon associated specifically with modern society. One important factor is this context is that various sources of meaning, such as religion or being grounded in one's local culture and immediate social environment, are less important in the contemporary context. We're no longer just stuck in Carlsbad or Oceanside or wherever. It's like we are global. We see everything all the time, every moment, right? The tragedies, we see what's happening in Maui, right? Like we see all of that and we are wrapped up in it almost instantly. Like the moment it happens, we are all in everything if you want to be, right? You could definitely just put the blinders on. But, and so we have this like, where am I in this big picture? And this is the like kind of the first time in history that like people have that tension of like, I could do all things. I could go help people that are suffering around the world. And I could also just sit here and just amass as much wealth as I want and just say that that's what God wants for me. I don't know. What's the answer? What if it wasn't God? What if it was God? I don't know. That's what we're going to wrestle with, okay? So to reel it back, to take it and give it some context, to help us like journey through this in 15 minutes. Let's do this. Are you ready? Okay, there's a lot to pack in, and I, I'm so sorry I didn't throw all these verses uh, in the digital bulletin for you to kind of track with, but it'll be on the screen, I promise. Um, unless God just like shuts down the electricity and we're done. Um, but let's keep going. So R.C. Sproul comments on this very topic, gives us some context for it, okay? There's no portion of scripture that is more dramatic that dramatic, more dramatically communicates this point than the entire Old Testament book of Job. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for Job's story? Job is oh, it's so beautiful. Okay, so the book of Job tells of a man who is pushed to his absolute limit of endurance with the problem of pain. Okay? God allows Job to be an unprotected target for the malice of Satan. Everything dear to Job is stripped from him, including his family, his worldly goods, and his own physical health, right? He ends up with like sores all over his body. He's just wrecked. Yet in the end of the day, in the midst of his misery, while his home is atop a dunghill, Job cries out, 
The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And some of you are like, why would you say that? His wife says it, right? His wife goes, curse God and die. Like, why do you even continue to follow this God? And he goes, because all of that can come and go. Blessed be the name of the Lord. None of us are guaranteed forever in this physical body. That could all go right now. And he's like, blessed be the name of the Lord. He's like, the one thing that grounds me, the one thing that is stable that I know will go off into eternity beyond my, I don't know, I'm 43 right now. Hopefully I go a little more, right? Beyond my couple of years here on earth is this beautiful relationship we have with the creator, okay? And I want to unpack that a little bit further. He says the ultimate expression of trust comes in his words where he says, even if I die, even if God kills me, he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. And you might be blown away hearing that going, why? That's insane. This is the ultimate expression of love for the creator. Love for God. And what we see here, it goes on. This is R.C. Sproul talking. He says, Job prefigures the Christian life. A life that is lived not in Fifth Avenue. You guys know where Fifth Avenue is? the venue of the Easter parade, but on the Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrows that ends at the foot of the cross. The Christian life is a life that embraces the sacrament of baptism, which signifies I'm dying to my old life and being raised in Christ. The old ways of living are gone and the new has come. And that now we begin to be baptized in what it means to live with sacrifice and the same afflictions of Jesus. That same kind of suffering. And you're like, wow, that's a message for Sunday morning, right? Like super encouraging. There will be affliction. I don't know if you've noticed this at this point in life, there has been affliction and there will be affliction, right? So we have to do something with that. And that's another big existential question, right? What is, how do we handle evil in our world? How do we handle that that dark element that exists all around us all the time that we encounter when we wake up and we're like, I am tired, I don't want to get up, my physical body is drained, right? We don't always feel uppity and happy and ready to go. There is something that weighs heavy in this world that will always be there. Sure, there's great days, and sure, we can exercise and eat healthy and do things that will like, keep us fresh and vibrant and vigorous, right? But there will always be that tension that we live in. Always that tension. That's kind of why I started with that question. What is God and what isn't God? All of it? The pain, the suffering, the sorrow? Is it God? Is it not God? The looks on your faces, you're like, this is heavy. We went deep end on Sunday morning. And you're like, oh, that's dark. Hopefully, through these next couple verses, I can show what God is trying to do in the midst of all of that. Because it's not all doom and gloom. I believe that there's hope, and that is the gospel, and that is what, what Jesus is doing here. And I think I've taken a question that Peter asks and kind of made it like a deeper thing than it really is. Because what Peter's really asking is, if this is really something I can trust in, I want in. If, if Jesus, if you're really Jesus, then I want all in. I want to be able to walk on water. I want to be able to feed tons of people. I want to be able to work miracles. I want to be able to like bring healing and justice to this world. I want in. 
Do you want in? I want in. I want that because that gives me chills. That gives me excitement about life and meaning and purpose. And he goes on and says, um, in Matthew 10, this is like a couple chapters right before this, right? So it says, do not be afraid. This is like Jesus teaching his disciples before this even takes place, this moment of being fearful on the water where the wind and waves are like thrashing the boat. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. This is as Jesus sends out the disciples to go and share the gospel with the community. And they're fearful. And he's like, don't take anything with you. I want you just to trust me. I'll provide for you. I'll take care of you. Don't be fearful. And he says, God's going to take care of you. Like, look at this. Don't be fearful. Don't be scared of those that can kill the body because that's very temporary. Be scared of something that can really destroy your life, that will really rob you of joy, of peace, of true contentment. And that is the opposite of God, right? The evil that longs to pull you, drag you away and say, you will have no meaning, you will have no life, there is no purpose, all of it's a waste. What Jesus was doing here is teaching them, don't be fearful of that. Put your trust in something that will bring you joy, that will bring you contentment, that when you don't feel like you have enough money, you're still okay. That if you don't feel like you have enough support around you, you're still good. God is with you just like he is with the sparrows. And that's his promise. And so then... uh, my hope is that we begin to see that, that we begin to see that what Peter is learning in this discipleship process is, oh, my rabbi, I can trust. Jesus is something you can put your trust in even when it doesn't make any sense. Not one of us in here would step out of that boat going, yeah, we can walk on water. Scientifically, it doesn't make sense, right? I think they understood that too, right? They're fishermen. They knew that like you'd sink. They understood that. But something outside of their realm, their understanding of how life works took place right there and built their faith. And then they're like, okay, yeah, this is Jesus. I I can trust him. Like, I want to be like my rabbi. I can do this kind of stuff. I forgot to show you a clip. I'm going to show it to you now because it's going to make even more sense. Do you guys remember Bruce Almighty? So remember that question, like, what is God? What isn't God? Watch this clip and let's talk about it. It won't take long. Oh, darn. All this horsepower and no room to gallop. All this horsepower and no room to gallop. All those cars had to go to the side so that he could have his yes, right? We've been there. We've been like, I want all green lights. Think about, if you have all green lights, what happens to all the other cars on the road? Red lights. So if my life is continually thinking, I want green lights, somebody else gets red lights. Let that sink in. Like, as I started to wrestle with that in that clip, that was like how I started to think through, like, 
What is God and what isn't God? Because the entire movie, right? I don't know if you guys remember this. If you haven't seen it, maybe go watch it. Maybe, I don't know. Just watch some clips and you'll get the gist of it. Literally, it's like, answer prayers. I can't answer them all at once because he's playing God. Yes to everything and everything just falls apart, right? No to everything. Oh, that doesn't work either. Like everybody's prayers. What if we just said yes to everything? If you just got green lights all the way, the metaphor of green lights all the way to work every single day, that would mean somebody else would get red lights on the way to your work every single day. But that bake your noodle, right? Like you're like, what? Okay. The point of that is we are communal. We live together. So how I pray, how I live my life matters because when I want everything my way, it impacts you, doesn't it? If I want all the money in the world, it's got to come from all of you. If I want all the green lights, you guys all have to stop. That means you're late to work so that I could be on time or early, hopefully. But what Jesus starts to do here is starts to shape their understanding of trust beyond circumstances, right? The same way Job, like, he's not like, well, I just, life's horrible. God just is, like, destroying my life. He's like, no, I, it, I might have red lights this week. Next week might be completely different. But what matters is that I center life on God. That is it. It doesn't matter. All the rest of it can come and go. And as I get older, I just turned 43 this week. Thank you for the birthday wishes and stuff. But had one of those, like, Moments of like meaning of life, you know, you start to question, like, I'm getting older now. Like, what brings joy, satisfaction, contentment? It's less and less about stuff, right? Like, I got one of the cool gifts I got was like vacuum seal bags so I could vacuum seal my fish when I get it. You know, like, and I'm excited about that. I love it. But I care less and less about that stuff, not because I'm like bragging about it, because I think you start to see the perspective of like, what the disciples valued and what they began to see is super important. That things come and go. Even relationships may come and go. Homes will come and go. Things will come and go nonstop. But blessed be the name of the Lord. And that is like the core of what, that's like, that's what I desire because I go through that undulation of like, oh, woe is me. It's like life's not going the way I want it to. And then I'm like, oh, things are working. Got green lights again. Things are great. God is good, you know? And it's like up and down and it's like, I want to be more like Job that just says, I just, blessed be the name of the Lord. Like, God is good. And I know that sounds really countercultural and very, like, it contrasts what we are normally told. Like, get more stuff, do more things, be great in everyone's eyes. And it, I don't know, it just, I feel like I find more meaning, more satisfaction when I begin to just really trust and lean into what Jesus is doing. Um, Peter challenges Jesus and gets what he asks for. But the result is to glorify God. So this is kind of the like full circle. He tests God, right? He tests Jesus. He's like, if it's really you, then do this for me. And God does it. Jesus does it. But to prove deeper relationship with the Father, deeper relationship with divine, right? Deeper relationship with God. It wasn't to like line his pocket, to make him more rich, to get more green lights, to get more whatever, to be a, the cooler disciple out of the 12. I don't know. 
It was all about deepening that relationship with Jesus. And that's all that mattered. Ephesians 2.10 says this. It says, for we are the product of his hand. God made us. And I love how poetic this is. It's from the voice uh, paraphrase. Look how poetic this is. For we are the product of his hand. Heaven's poetry etched on our lives. Heaven's poetry etched on our lives. Created in the anointed, Jesus, to accomplish good works God arranged long ago. To do the good works that God created long ago. The, like, the purpose, the meaning, like why we're here, the existential, like the answer to that question is to do the good that he invites us into. And you, I think we all know, like when we live into those moments where we're serving, where we live outside of ourselves, and we're not like, I want green lights all the way down the street. We're like, hey, you can, you can go ahead. There's something about that that just, oh, that's so good, right? That feeds the soul. And then you go, oh, that felt meaningful. That felt significant, right? That someone else gets to have a beautiful day because I'm serving and I'm doing the thing that God called me to do. And then you go, oh, that's, that's amazing. That's so satisfying. That's like, it gratifies the soul. And, and I know that's like a big ask, but sometimes we just have to get out of ourselves and we have to say, how can I serve others? How can I love others? How can I begin to ask the question of like, if it's you, God, how can I serve you? And then we get the answer of like, just mind blown, like doing amazing things. I want to close by showing you a text that, um, that we get as being part of the board with uh, Lasting Change Haiti. And um, I'll go to the screen because then I can see it better. And you guys can't see it, but you, I'll, I'll put it in the notes for next week and you guys can see it. But um, these are two examples of like, I think seven or eight that we got. Do you remember Summer? It was like a whole list, right, that he sent us. Um, Summer's on the board as well. But um, we get these text updates of like, here's needs that we have in Haiti from our friend Absolu. And so we commissioned and we said, hey, how can we help you help your community? Like, who are the widows? Who are the people that are in, in need in your, in your area? And as I read this, I'll, I'm going to read this one right here. Okay, so uh, I don't really know how to say their names in, um, in Creole, but um, his name is Jolossier, I'm guessing, Paul. Uh, he's from Cherier, which is kind of near where uh, our friend lives. And uh, he says 15 miles away. He's an orphan since his birth. He grew up without any family assistance. He used, used to help people, with, uh, help people and living with people for food, but they don't send him to school. And his English is kind of broken up, so I have to kind of like cruise through it. But um, does not have an education. He used to work in agriculture, help people with their garden, farm, but because there is no rain, he does not find any job. He built his small house with coconut leaves. We call his house Ajupa. That is where he is living. And he would like help uh, from Lasting Change to get a food kit, because we wanted to start giving out food to these people that um, can't provide themselves, and also to send him uh, to vocational school where he can learn a profession such as carpentry, masonry, in the future. And he is a strong young man. Uh, taking, uh, we were talking to him, <clears throat> and he wants to learn something so he can find a job in the future. Um, so he's the only person living in this condition in that area. 
Um, and he goes to that Nazarene church. When I read that, it puts into perspective like where we're at, what we deal with, what we face, right? Um, oh, red light on the mic. That's not good. Um, this lady lives 30 miles away from that area. She's handicapped. She can't walk. Lives in a small house made of mud and stone. Um, while her husband was alive, was built. She's a widow living with uh, and living with anything. People in the community giving her had six children, but they all abandoned her. The church goes and tries to help her, but sometimes the church doesn't have enough money to help her with food. So can we do that? When I see this, I begin to act, like get grounded in what God is doing in this world. And I start to shift my mind from I want the traffic to go away and I want green lights all the way down the road to some more important things. And it puts in perspective my own life and the things that I want and the things I desire and the things that I do. Um, and I begin to see how we as a church and we as individuals can be part of like giving a couple bucks to people like this that will completely transform their life. And to me, that has meaning. It has depth. It's what I think Peter began to discover as he laid down his life along with all the other disciples in service to God because they knew that meaning, they didn't have to ask that existential question of like, was it God? Is it not God? No, it was about, we just serve God. I don't need to wrestle with like, do I need to serve? Do you think we need to wrestle with the fact like this lady needs food? It should be like a resounding, there's no conversation about that. Yes, she needs food, right? And that, I believe, is like the heart of God. I believe that that is what God is dividing us into, that we begin to be participants, that we get to do the good works, as it says there in Ephesians. We get to participate in what it is. And I think that's where we begin to find our meaning, our purpose, like all of it. And it begins to answer that question of like when Peter asks, is it you? He's like, yeah, come on out. Don't be scared. Step out. Like, you may not have the finances to do this sort of thing, or you may not have the resources or whatever it is or the abilities. Just step out in faith. See what happens. And then God does it, and he takes his eyes off and gets fearful and puts him back on the waves, and it all falls apart again. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. Come back up. Keep your eyes up here. And I think if we keep our eyes on Jesus, and I know that sounds like overly simplified sometimes, but if we disciple to Jesus continually every day, it's going to transform life. It's going to bring meaning. It's going to bring purpose. It'll put everything in its right place. Um, sure, there'll still be some questions. Sure, we have to wrestle with it, how, where, what that looks like. But I believe the core of it is like, let's get after the heart of God, right? And then we start to find what we are created for, why we're here, what we are meant to be doing. And so let me close in prayer um, as we seek to glorify God. Lord, we want to glorify you. Uh, we, want to, we want to live in such a way that acknowledges that you are ultimately in control, even when things seem chaotic, when the waves crash, when things seem like they're falling apart around us, when we feel like our finances aren't the way that we want them to be, or when our families aren't the way that we want them to be, or whatever it is. Help us to know that we can center life on you, Jesus, and that we're called to serve and love, and that that's where we find uh, our our meaning. In you, we have our, our life, we have our movement, we have our meaning and our, our purpose. And so 
we just want to center around you, Jesus. And so help us to do that this week as we go into the rest of this day. Um, May we just keep our gaze on you, Jesus, and serve you only. We pray this in your name. Amen.